Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nano Community Tech. My name is Sandeep Johal. Today's guest is Na Nguyen, who is a serial entrepreneur, a founder of a brand new startup, technology startup, that is, a fellow technologist and a friend for such a long time. Welcome to the show, Na. Hey, Sandeep. It's my pleasure to be on the show. Hey, so let's get right into it. Now, Portal Stack is a brand new offering in the market, and I am excited to unpack all of that. But before we get into Portal Stack per se, I want to, the audience to understand a little bit more about you and, and your humble beginnings and your journey into uh, the world of technology, the world of startups, and so on. Now, you have, this is not your first uh, go at a startup. You were involved in Space Sally and a few others in the past. So maybe tell us a little bit more about how the humble journey began. Sure, not a problem. Now, first of all, um, I do love it how you refer to it as my humble beginnings, um, which would somewhat imply that I'm now some raging success story. Um, Unfortunately, the reality is far from it. Uh, But hey, thanks for the uh, sentiment anyway. So as you mentioned, my first serious foray into the startup world was with a business called Space Ellie, um, which was essentially a a, um, peer-to-peer marketplace for self-storage. So think Airbnb, but for self-storage. As with most great ideas, it was uh, hatched over bourbon and coke in some city bar somewhere. Um, At the time, I was with a good friend of mine and we were um, discussing uh, various topics. Um, But of course, after several rounds of of drinks, we tend to get quite philosophical. Um, And as it happens, we were uh, on the topic of the, the sharing economy. And for whatever reason, we both had this eureka moment thinking, the sharing economy could really disrupt a big old traditional multi-billion dollar sleeper industry in self-storage. Certainly the the market or the addressable market size is large enough um, and the problem space um, is real. So we thought, heck, um, it has all the makings of a really big idea. And we ran with the idea with much gusto we even successfully raised a small seed round uh, off the back of a, of a PowerPoint presentation. But uh, unfortunately, um, and as with the case with so many startups, we just ran out of runway in funding before reaching that critical tipping point that's, that's needed in order to sustain uh, a two-sided marketplace. So I definitely walked away from my Space Ellie experience with some valuable, um, albeit painful, learnings. Firstly, two-sided marketplaces are notoriously hard to get off the ground uh, for good reasons. Um, However, it is especially hard when you're also trying to create a new market category, which was the case um, with us. We spent an inordinate amount of time and effort uh, in educating the Australian public, uh, firstly around the, the virtues of the sharing economy itself. Um, as well as then having to convince people to adopt that that model for their uh, self-storage uh, use case. Um, so that um, obviously was quite challenging. Um, so as a result, we, we found that our cost to acquire a customer was uh, significantly higher than, than what we had anticipated. The 
other key learning for me was, look, no matter what business you start, you do need to be 110% on board with the products or services that you're delivering. But not only that, um, you do need to be on board with the industries that you're serving. So in our case, we were both very bullish on the potential of the sharing economy. Um, we were both very passionate about giving people more access to services. Um, but I think ultimately, if we had to be completely honest with ourselves from day dot, we were not super excited about the self-storage industry. So I think um, in order to really sustain your energy level to get through the highs and lows of running a startup, and there will be plenty, um, you really need to be motivated to solve real problems for the industries that you're serving. Wonderful, because it takes a lot of guts to... I mean, it's one of the reasons why probably I have not uh, ventured down that path yet. Um, there's a lot of risk and a lot of um, uh, uncertainty. Nothing like a, uh, a constant paycheck that comes through every month like it does in, mm. when you work for someone else. But also that also exposes you to some ups and downs, mm. like ventures that don't quite hit the mark. Yep. But Portal Stack is not one of those ventures. It is something that has come together well uh, and is currently, um, wh where is it currently at? Yeah, so Portal Stack only recently uh, officially launched. Um, even though we've been in development for uh, a bit over a year now, we kicked off our beta program uh, around about six months ago. So September, uh, around September of last year. Um, and we, we've only recently come out of that beta program. So I think it, the reason why I, I was trying to unpack the uh, the entrepreneurial streak that you were you were talking about is because Portal Stack has got everything to do with becoming an entrepreneur. It's about off, uh, being brave enough to offer your service, but also having the right support tools, uh, uh, workflows, uh, outcomes that essentially uh, a sole entrepreneur. Um, may not always have on day one. Mm -hmm. And and this isn't this is one of those things from from what I've seen in Portal Stack and I'm and I'm sure you can explain it way better than I can. Um, Portal Stack to me is that solution that takes away a lot of the pain and a lot of the uncertainty that entrepreneurs potentially may not want to focus on uh, and then keeps them honed in on what they the value added stuff. The the real um, a business value add and taking away a lot of those supporting uh, elements out of the picture. So again, I, I think that's how I understand it, but, but I'm sure you'll, you'll give us a better and more, a fuller explanation. Yeah, you're pretty much spot on there, Sandeep. Um, so portal stack was very much born from the idea that there's, there's lots of overhead in launching and growing a, a services business. We tend to go into business with the best intent um, to have all of the right process, all of the right toolings from the beginning. Um, and obviously that's just to um, avoid being constantly bogged down with paperwork and, and tedious tasks. So no doubt, um, we all want the best experience for both internal users and, and um, as well as our clients. Uh, I mean, that's fairly obvious. Um, but I suppose that the challenge then becomes, well, where do I source all of these tools? Um, 
there's definitely a tyranny of choice when it comes to software, uh, in particular SaaS products. Um, so Portal Stack solves a lot of these problems by essentially providing a, a one-stop shop platform for service providers uh, in order to launch and grow their service business with a digital-first approach. Um, so at the core of our platform uh, is our branded client portal feature. So with this feature, you can basically spin up your own customizable client portal uh, solution uh, literally within minutes um, and that basically provides a unified space for your clients to interact with you uh, and perform operations such as pay your invoices they can digitally sign your documents uh, they can manage their own data um, they can uh, access documents and files 24-7 they can raise and track service requests and just generally be informed of service milestones um, so yeah um, in a nutshell, the problem we're trying to solve is to minimize, um, if not eliminate, uh, manual processes um, uh, and provide a unified collaboration space for both, uh, for both you and your clients. Uh, and in terms of our target market uh, and current user base, uh, when we talk about service businesses, um, it's uh, obviously quite broad. Um, so anywhere from um, your creatives of this world, such as um, graphic designers, right through to your professional services, uh, such as accountants, lawyers, financial planners, um, etc. That's a whole stack of problems that you're solving there. I couldn't help myself. Uh, one, no, one step and- at a time. <laughs> so look, it, it sounds like um, a great way for somebody who is, uh, say, uh, as you mentioned, a whole bunch of uh, professions before, but, it, but it's a good way for someone who's starting off um, in the world of um, offering their own services and having a system that's potentially all encompassing and um, I guess provides the, uh, the kind of foundation that's, uh, that'll really help uh, launch uh, the business. Are you seeing a lot of um, what? What are the what kind of typical use cases are you seeing? Yeah, so there are two parts to this. Um, a lot of our new signups or inquiries have come to us because they do want um, to digitize their processes. Um, so the primary use case here um, is mostly around client onboarding. So things like um, collecting client information, um, pre-engagement questionnaire, um, and signing documents, um, etc. Um, the the other use case is uh, perhaps more around just wanting a client portal solution as a um, as a differentiator to stand out from the crowd, um, and they really just want to avoid having to to go down the um, the custom build path. I think there's been a seismic shift or a generational change in our overall attitude towards work. Um, so whatever it is, I think it's quite clear that we now value even prioritise choice and flexibility. Uh, in the past, someone could start work at a company, stay there for say 40 plus years and four gold watches later they retire and be completely content with that. Um, I think fast forward to today, and if you were to ask a young person just starting out uh, in their career where they want to be in five years' time, um, you'll be hard-pressed to get an authentic response from them. Um, Now, I think fundamentally, we all may have inherent talents, um, but those talents may not always uh, align with our interests. Um, As an example, you could have a musician by day 
but he or she could actually be a mathematical genius and so they spend their nights moonlighting as a data scientist um, or you could be a busy lawyer by day um, but just so happens to enjoy the outdoors um, so you want to start a side hustle uh, in gardening um, actually a few years ago uh, we had to install a, a doggy door um, so we posted a job on Airtasker and the guy that rocked up just looked like your typical tradie. Um, but as it turns out, he was he was actually a, an accountant by day. Um, even more closer to home, um, I've personally always had a passion for photography. Um, I know it's, it's not something that I want to pursue full time. Um, but one thing I'm contemplating is building up my portfolio so that I can um, perhaps offer my amateurish photography services on the odd occasions um, just to learn the craft. Um, so I think sometimes it's just a case of um, we, we feel that urge to exercise both the left and right sides of our brain, um, the left being your analytical side and the right is where you can really unleash your creativity. A number of things that I like to unpack because some of those speak really um boldly to what I am also sort of going through, which is, you know, for example, this podcast is a side project, uh, a passion um, mm. project, if you must. And uh, there isn't, uh, obviously, there, there's this whole notion of, well, I can be a number of things, or I can do a number of things, and I don't mm. have to stick to one thing, mm. which is, which I think increasingly is becoming not just popular with the, the, the younger people, but across the board. Mm. Um, and and those people who value their flexibility and value their uh, choices, this is so appealing. And I feel like you've got two types of people here that uh, that w- would be drawn to something like this. One is those who are who've been in a in a profession for a little while, say accounting for fourteen years, and figure, oh man, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. Um, I, mm. I just feel a pull somewhere else, or I'm looking for more meaningful work, and meaningful work might come in drips and drabs and 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 I need to cater to having an income out of that so I feel like that's one group and then the other group would be to say well I actually want to do multiple things in my week mm. there's no such mm. thing as a, as a weekend or anything like that I'll work when I when I uh, I'll, I'll work when I want to but I'll do I want to do multiple things I want to mm. do um, like you said the gardening bit I feel like that is increasingly making its way into more and more people's lives. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, so look, firstly, I think the future of work is very topical um, at the moment, Um, but it's also quite broad. So even if we were to narrow our focus to just the future of the labour market, um, I think there's some, some really exciting trends happening there. So the first trend I'm seeing is this rise in the gig economy. Um, so platforms like Airtasker in Australia or TaskRabbit in the US um, are, are rapidly growing in popularity, that's for sure. But as an extension to the gig economy, which is traditionally more synonymous with um, outsourcing your everyday tasks um, or freelancing in the creative space, um, what we're also seeing is this exponential growth in professional freelancing. Um, so basically moving up the value chain to include services such as management consulting, um, such as data analytics, etc. So what this does mean for a lot of organisations is, and if not already, um, they really need to rethink their contingency workforce as a talent acquisition strategy. Um, 
and in my mind, if they do approach it the right way, they can actually turn it into a, a source of competitive advantage um, or um, build defensibility. Um, there's a, there's actually an excellent book called Innovator's Dilemma um, by Clayton Christensen, who sadly recently passed away. Um, but the upshot is successful businesses are well-oiled machines. Um, and over time, they become very adept at optimizing their products and operations in order to maximize profit for their companies. However, um, there comes a point where they do become victims of their own success. Um, they begin to to dismiss new entrants into the market um, purely because they think eh, that offering is rubbish, uh, our customer research says otherwise, or the uh, addressable market size is way too small to turn a profit. Um, but what may end up happening is that that new entrant progressively fine tunes their offering over time um, and at some point may eventually enter the mature market segment um, whereby they're directly competing with the incumbents. Um, but with the distinct advantage of key learnings and momentum behind them. Um, and so the big incumbents end up getting blindsided um, and uh, get disrupted. So look, I think the, the key takeaway here is, you know, with the constant wave of new and emerging tech, businesses really do need to continually test their existing business model now and then. Um, and that could mean um, just being able to rapidly launch and test new product offerings, test new monetization or pricing models or strategies, whatever it may be. But to enable all of this, they'll need to have access to that on-demand diverse pool of talent uh, on standby. How do you know someone's good? If you don't have, um, if someone says, oh, I'm an accountant, but I also can do repair and carpentry on the side, um, what is the, from, from a consumer, are you going, oh yeah, oh, yeah, no worries, come and make modifications to my home? Mm. Or are you like going, I need to be a little more um, uh, vigilant about this person? And I, bet, I, I guess that's the big uh, question, mm. right? The, the question of credibility. And I yeah. just wonder whether um, you've thought about how people can bring solid credibility to what they do. If they, like you say, you talked about uh, being, having amateur photo, uh, photos of photography, I, I think people, th there would be a market who would say, you know what, I, I'm okay um, with engaging an amateur photographer for various reasons. Yeah, definitely. But I think there's a lot of social proofing uh, naturally embedded into these talent matching platforms. Um, I mean, it, it really is a pure meritocracy if you think about it um, because quality always rises to the top if you consistently deliver valuable services to clients and you consistently acquire positive reviews um, then naturally you'll be rewarded um, in the form of more client engagements um, i think there will always be that native regulation of supply and demand um, when you first start out, demand for your services may be low, um, but you know that's just because you're an unknown quantity. Um, but it also means that you may have to start at a, at a more competitive pricing point um, just to attract um, those clients that may be okay in taking a bit of a bit more of a risk in backing you, um, obviously in exchange for um, for lower fees. 
Um, but look, as you build credibility and, and you're getting more clients through the door, you can then start um, to um, obviously adjust your rates based on what the market is demanding. Um, now that said, I think services such as photography is a, is a little bit different um, in the sense that the process of evaluating a photographer um, is often um, much easier than say a, a financial planner. Um, photography being a visual medium, um, it's quite it's 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 easy enough to look at a photographer's portfolio and say, hey, I like their style, uh, and then make a call. Um, but in the case of financial planners, it's uh, it's a lot harder to make that assessment quickly. Um, so it really does um, sometimes just boil down to reviews and referrals. It, because that's the biggest barrier, isn't it? Especially with the future of work. And by future of work, I'm, I'm really um, talking about several aspects. But one uh, being the way people want to work going forward and building that credibility in, in several areas. What you're saying is that it's it's a lot of it is uh, you know reviews and and sort of social cred as well as um, as well as a price point uh, way to penetrate the market, which is which is great, absolutely great. And I think I have a friend who um, started his own uh, mortgage broker business. Oh yeah, and it's tough to get into the market with you know no reviews, but but I think also at some point. Um, once you once you start going past that uh, credibility building and understand the market that you're aiming, you then get to your processes of engaging with the client, and those those can really make or break the experience. And this this goes for across the board. So I always think that the um, that solutions that can remove the friction between. Uh, you know, doing business, and this is the whole life cycle of the of the engagement with the clients. Um, if you can remove a lot of the friction areas, then that actually does tend to equate to a positive working experience. Mm. And, and it's not just about delivering a good product, but it's also about all these other stuff that we're talking about. And that full experience is what your client remembers. Uh, yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that, Sandeep. So when we think about the end-to-end -end client engagement life cycle, um, there are obviously lots of moving parts to it. There's lots of touch points or uh, interactions your clients may have with your brand, uh, and that could either be digital or, uh, or otherwise. Um, but also we've got different preferences, uh, I suppose, in the way that we want to consume services. Um, now for some, face-to-face um, -face, uh, interactions is preferred, um, whilst for others, um, look, they're okay with digital simply by the fact that they want to be able to interact with, um, with you during a time that's convenient for them. Um, but I, I think what's what's definitely common across all clients um, is that no one really likes tedious paperwork. Um, it's really that simple. Um, I'm still baffled by the fact that we're in 2022 uh, and there are service providers out there who are still sending PDF forms or worse paper forms out to clients uh, in order to collect data um, uh, for uh, purposes such as um, onboarding. I'm staggered that uh, we're still predominantly getting clients to print, sign, scan, and email back contracts. Um, so look, I think clients shouldn't have to trawl through email inboxes to find your documents or invoices. So I think what really makes or breaks that 
client experience, as you say, is really giving your clients that unified experience um, that basically one would expect in today's digital age. The rise in people offering services. So we talked about um, Airtasker where predominantly these are services where someone actually physically needs to turn up at a location and perform work. The, the rise of services that can be delivered um, from a remote location or are not location sensitive, this will continue to increase in my view, and it has been uh, mm. for a while. But also I think overcoming some of the challenges of, of delivering such a service. And, and credibility was one that I mentioned, but I wonder if you think there are any other barriers for uh, people offering services that don't involve physically turning up somewhere? Yeah, so firstly, I do think that professional services um, in particular really lends itself to pure online delivery. Um, uh, traditionally, the the conventional wisdom to establishing a service-based business was, was typically look, I'll go out and rent out some office space. Um, I will then go out and buy a Xerox machine. Um, uh, I will then buy a PBX-based landline um, so I can connect it to a, a facsimile. Then I'll go out and print out some flyers and hand it out to my local community. Now, with the current generation of service entrepreneurs, um, on the other hand, um, they're thinking globally, um, or if not nationally from day dot, um, and that's just because they can. Now, um, I think if you have uh, expertise or, or knowledge to share, um, and there's a market out there that's um, that's willing to pay for that knowledge, I absolutely see no valid reasons as to why you should limit yourself by geography. Um, now, that said, a pure online service delivery model does come with some hurdles. Um, so whereas Bob, the local accountant, um, he has a captive audience. Now, assuming, of course, um, he's the only accountant in town. In the virtual delivery model, um, it's a much more crowded marketplace. Um, obviously, that's because the barrier to entry uh, is much lower uh, nowadays, um, and therefore, um, you should expect more competition. So I suppose then, the, the circling back to your question, um, other than establishing credibility, um, I think the other big rock that service providers um, need to tackle is, well, how can I differentiate myself um, from the cast of thousands out there? How can I get the word out there um, and market myself? Yeah, and I think that that makes 100% sense. And also, uh, as you said, the, the trends that are, are pretty much you know, being laid out in the uh, for open air for all to see. So I think there is a, with that comes an education piece, both from those who are providing the service as well as those who are receiving. Because uh, there are people who prefer that a computer technician turn up at their home tinker around with their laptop, desktop, whatever, and make the changes there. But as you know, these days, any kind of tech support is always, by and large, delivered through remote, mm. um, um, you know, remote support and that sort of thing, and where they take over your computer and do whatever diagnostics they need to do. So all of that can be done. But I feel like there is a graduation that needs to happen on both sides, consumers as well as service providers. And I feel like we're... If anything, the pandemic has helped both parties understand that there's 
um, there's value in, uh, in 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 providing remote services and in providing remote services in areas traditionally um, were very location sensitive. So I feel like we're moving in a very positive direction and solving issues uh, going forward. Because there's the, the the macro effect in my in my view is that now those people, let's say in regional areas, uh, in even in Australia who may not have had access to that talent, that service, mm, mm. who, and, and if you turn the tables the other way around, who, who have a service to offer across the nation and, and weren't able to because of their geographic location are now open to, for business and open to, um, open to consume. So I think um, an example that I'm seeing in the industries, if, if I can bring my technology uh, industry into the mix, talent is no longer bound by which city you're conducting a project in. Um, and, and time zone is the only thing that you have to worry about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's... And some, some of these projects are very complex and they are, uh, they involve and require a lot of involve, a lot of uh, discussions, a lot of documentation, a lot of uh, agreements, approvals, everything has become very acceptable to be online. Whereas only about two or three years ago, our client would say, if, if you're not sitting within 50 meters of my site, I, I am not confident that you're doing my work. Yeah, look, I, I must admit, I, I, I do find it fascinating that uh, there, there are those out there who still equate uh, bums on seats as some meaningful measure of uh, productivity. I'm especially bedazzled with this whole, hey, let's bill our clients in 15 minutes or um, hourly increments. Um, because, you know, that's a really efficient method to reward inefficiency. Um, I just never really understood it. Um, but I've always lived by the uh, the ethos of being outcome-driven. Um, you know, I tend to care less about how or by which method service is delivered. Um, and I especially don't care where they're physically located. Um, they could be in Bali or, or Byron Bay for all I care. Um, well, maybe Byron Bay was not a good example, but my point still stands. The The important thing is that they deliver the outcomes that I want. If we take it a, a notch higher and talk about the metaverse, because the view is that the metaverse will make um, those touch points that you're talking about very much like the real world, but it'll also uh, introduce this concept of, well, there's the collaboration environment mm -hmm. and, a, and a productivity environment that is that exists at all times in parallel to our own existence. I just wonder what some of the um, interesting things people will be doing in a, in a, in a virtual environment uh, and delivering services and so on. What would, you know, from your point of view, is there, have you thought about this? Have you thought about how that could look like? Ah, the metaverse. Um, you know what? I do feel like this is becoming one of the most uh, polarizing topics of late. Um, and perhaps that's a sign that it's a, it's a big idea. Um, who knows? Um, but look, on one side, I think there's, there, there is lots of trepidation around what will metaverse mean for our society. Um, there are fears that uh, it may amplify some of the some of the negative impacts of social media just in general. Um, so things like online bullying, um, online harassment, uh, etc. Um, and to be fair, I think they're all valid concerns. Um, now, if we put 
that aside um, just for one moment uh, and really just consider the potential use cases for Metaverse in our workplace, uh, uh, especially for collaboration purposes, I, I definitely think there's potential there um, uh, and it's, it's going to be game changing. Um, so my prediction is uh, once Metaverse becomes mainstream, um, and really that's um, just a matter of time, uh, it most definitely will redefine workplace um, aspects such as um, how we conduct work, um, how we interact with uh, with colleagues and clients, um, how we conduct workplace training, um, and how we onboard uh, new employees um, as examples. Um, so yeah, look, overall, um, I think on the balance, um, I do have uh, a somewhat of an optimistic lens um, uh, around the, uh, the the metaverse, um, uh, purely just from a, a future of work um, perspective. So look, on that note, let's uh, wrap up. I have really enjoyed our conversation. Pretty awesome to think about all the amazing entrepreneurial journeys you've been on. And so happy that uh, we've come to this point where you're offering an amazing service like Portal Stack. So, wishing you the best uh, in in this on this entrepreneurial journey. Thanks so much for being on the show. My pleasure, Sandy.